Welcome to the Pastor's Roundtable Podcast, a podcast where we pull apart and deconstruct the habits, routines, and tactics of the great men and women of faith. Drastically changed my life. Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. Here is your host, Ryan Latham. Hey, what's up, guys? I'm Ryan Latham, and thank you so much for listening to this episode of the podcast, episode 39. I'm so excited to share with you my conversation with Justin Herman. He has been in junior high ministry for over 16 years at some great, great churches. He's also the host of the Controlled Chaos podcast, talking about junior high ministry. What are some of those core elements that you need? What should you be focusing on to grow to be healthy, to reach this generation of junior hires. Hey, I know we're all looking for new and creative ways to do discipleship. And my friend Greg just launched a new online discipleship course. You can check it out and get a discount by going to renewedleadership.org disciple. That's renewedleadership.org disciple. Check it out. Great online discipleship tool for you. Enjoy my conversation with Justin Herman about junior high ministry. Well, hey, Justin, welcome to an, an episode here. Love to talk about junior high ministry and with you for a little bit and, and just share some of your insights into the world of junior high ministry. You've been in lots of different churches, not a lot, but a few great churches and uh, now working for a nonprofit. So I'd love for you to just introduce yourself a little bit. Tell us a little bit about your ministry journey. Yeah, well, thanks for having me on, first of all. And I, and I love your podcast title. Um, the, I missed the, the title of pastor, not just the, the role of it, but I, I love being Pastor Justin. I haven't been Pastor Justin in a, in a little while now. So the, I love the podcast title and thanks for having me on. So yeah, I worked at a couple of really great churches. Uh, I got my start at a small church in Huntington Beach. Um, that's gone through a whole rebranding now. I think it's Christ Pacific Church now. But then spent most of my time at Mariner's Church in Irvine, which is a church I actually still attend. Um, I'll be going there this weekend, the very first weekend they're doing um, live gatherings um, with my wife. And then and I worked at a church called Sandals Church, which um, blew up in my face, was not, was not a great move. And it actually taught me a lot. I'm really thankful for that time there, um, but it did not work out. I lasted about nine months there. And then it kind of sent me on like this crazy journey of figuring out well, what I was going to do and who am I as a leader and all these, all the things that typical people struggle with and trying to figure out. And it took me on probably a year and a half journey of working through that um, and got to connect with some really cool people through that journey who helped me, you know, to kind of different guides along the way. And, uh, and now I, I found myself landed at a, a great nonprofit that's based out of Orange County, California, not too far from where I live. And I'm the executive director of it. And, you know, it's all about connecting mothers and daughters and fathers and sons and into service together. I'm developing them as leaders for not just the local and global church now, but, you know, for the future. And it's a whole lot of fun, really cool um, parents involved, a lot of chapters in Orange County, and we're looking to spread um, you know, with chapters uh, really all over the country. So this year's going to be a really fun year of expansion and growth for us. 
That's, that's great. I love it. So you're also the host of the Controlled Chaos podcast. So tell us a little bit about, it's a book. Uh, it's a, kind of a yeah. movement even, kind of a, a, a <laughs> high industry philosophy, you could say. Uh, yeah. So just tell us a little bit about, about the book, about the kind of the strategy and the podcast. Well, you know, the, the, the lingo of Controlled Chaos, I would give credit, obviously, to Kurt Johnston for coining it. Um, he wrote a book a long time ago for, you know, probably a, I forget when the book even came out, the early nineties or late two thousand, very early two thousands. And it was called controlled chaos. And I read it. I remember reading it. I was interviewing for the job in Huntington beach. Uh, they off, I was going to interview for the high school job. They offered me the junior high job. I knew nothing about junior high ministry, came back to my college, read controlled chaos along with middle school um, ministry by Mark Ostreicher and Scott Rubin, three, all three guys I, I consider to be good friends now. And years later, so now we fast forward almost a decade, and it was my wife of all people that challenged me to start a podcast. And she said, you should do a junior high ministry one. Why don't you? And I had a lot of reasons why not to long stories I don't, I'm not going to get into. But uh, I actually reached out to a couple people to ask their opinions like, hey, should I do this? Is it the right time? And I got a lot of positive affirmation that, yeah, go for it. You should do it. And when it was kind of time to figure out names, Josh Griffin from DYM is actually the one that suggested controlled chaos. Um, he, I reached out to Kurt to ask his permission, which he generously gave, which turned into him being on a couple of episodes, which turned into him really co-hosting it for, um, for probably six months. And me and him randomly did a rewrite or an update of Controlled Chaos, the book, and re-released it with Mark Ostreicher and the Youth Cartel a couple of years ago. And it's just been a ton of fun. I took some time off the podcast a little bit, but now we're back into it with a, with a really fun summer series. I don't know when this episode's posting, but we're doing a whole summer series called Stereotypes. And uh, it's just been a blast. I, I've been really enjoying it. And I, I still love junior high ministry, love youth workers, love the podcast. I'll do it until I'm not, you know, enjoying it anymore. And I'm still loving it right now. So it's a, it's a pretty good deal. All right. So I want to jump right in here to some heated topics. All right. I feel like you, you're ready for it. So let's jump in. Let's, let's, let's solve or talk about one of the biggest debates in all of youth ministry. All right. So in your opinion, should churches can highly consider or is like really need to go for a separated junior high, high school ministry? You know, here's the thing. Some churches, uh, so let's just talk philosophically. <clears throat> when you put junior high and high school kids together, you have a completely different dynamic. So the, the what is your philosophy of ministry? You know, is it just, well, I, I want to, you know, just preach the gospel to everyone. I want to get everyone and I want to tell them about Jesus and, and hopefully we get them plugged into a group that's great. I'm for that. But when you put junior high and high school students together, it changed the dynamic. Junior hires are always going to be who they are. They're not going to change based on who's in the room. Typically, like they're still going to run around and be crazy. Like they still view high school students like, like high school students. They don't view them like adults. They view adults like adults. So high school students are the ones who are going to say, oh, I don't really know if I want to be here if a bunch of junior high kids are running around, which I've seen that. That's something I experienced at Sandals. We had a, a, a huge dip in high school ministry um, that was recorded over time because they just didn't want to be around junior high kids that are running around doing fart jokes. So you're <laughs> going to, there's a trade-off. I mean, there's, there's, there's a trade-off there. Now, the other side of it is if your ministry or your church is small enough where you don't have like that critical mass and everyone says, well, what is critical mass? Critical mass is whatever you determine critical mass is. For mm -hmm. some people, critical mass is 20. 
For some people, it's 100. You know, it, it, some of it depends on the size of the building, the size of the room you're in. You know, if you have a room that fits 50 people, critical mass, you know, becomes 30. If you have a room that fits 200 people, critical mass becomes 120. So it's like, it's doesn't have, it's not just like, well, once you hit number X and it, which is a globally agreed upon number, critical mass for your church, your space is different than someone else. So if you're a really small church where bringing everyone together is going to, you know, you only have 10 high school kids and eight junior high kids, well, doing everything together makes sense. Grow them as much as you can, hit whatever critical mass you determine as the number, and then split them when the time comes. Now, I think the other thing people forget about is, and, and I'm pro-student, okay, I'm pro-student. Pro thing we tend to forget about is families that have kids in multiple different grades um, and the, the staff that we have and the volunteers that we have. You know, it, we can put junior high and high school separately, separate nights, whatever, but if we only have one youth pastor, then we're asking that guy or girl to sacrifice a lot of time with their family, a lot of time with their kids. If we have a lot of families that have kids in junior high and high school, we're asking them to do separate nights. We're asking the family not to do dinner together. We're asking the, the family to really be the chauffeur. And, and those, are, those are unintended consequences to what we would say our goal is, right? We want to disciple kids and we want to get them in a place where they can be with their peers and blah, 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 all the Christian stuff. But the reality is the unintended consequences to me become the things that we really need to look at. How many volunteers do we have? What is the volunteer health? How, what, what's the youth staff look like? What's their health look? What does the youth pastor's uh, spouse say about this? Are they pro them being out multiple nights a week? Are, are they going to end up hating them for it? And you know, is that how you're going to burn out your youth pastor? Um, you know, the, it's easy to run junior high and high school separate when you have a junior high pastor and a high school pastor. When you only have one, are you going to pay them double for, for doing the job of being the high school pastor and the junior high pastor? Most yeah. churches are going to say hell no to that. <laughs> so the, the, those those are things that we those are things that we don't talk about. We only talk about the student side, which again, I'm pro-student, but you can't have a healthy student ministry with an unhealthy staff. Mm. You can't have a healthy student ministry with unhealthy volunteers. You can't have a healthy student ministry with an unhealthy family ministry as defined by parents becoming chauffeurs and no one having dinner together. So I'm pro-separating them for sure. If we've answered a lot of these questions over here, if we, if we have a strategy and a system and a game plan for this, maybe the youth pastor doesn't need to be there um, for every single one, every single week. Maybe we're going to raise up volunteers. Maybe the senior pastor is going to come and speak sometimes and lead, um, you, depending on what the church size looks like. Maybe yeah. we're going to bring in the, the popular kids person to teach in junior high sometimes because they remember a lot. And we're going to break down silos. They remember those students. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe a lot of stuff. But in the end, what kind of solutions are we going to create to allow us in a healthy way to separate both junior high and high school? That's what I'd say. And I'm pro-separating them, by the way. I think it needs to be done. It needs to be done in a healthy way for everybody. Yeah, so what I'm hearing is, is size of your church, size of your ministry has a big part to play into that making that decision. And is it sustainable? Is it healthy for all the people, the family, the youth pastor, not just is this going to grow our youth ministry, but is, is it really healthy and sustainable long term is a big yeah. question for you. When we only look through the lens of, well, the students, right? We want more students and we want to grow that. Of course, we want more students. Of course, we want to grow things, but healthy things grow where you water it. 
And so if we're not putting any water on the health of how we structure the ministry, the fruit that we're trying to grow is at its core going to be unhealthy. You can't get healthy fruit from an unhealthy ministry. You can't get healthy fruit, students, relationships from burnt out staff and volunteers. Like it just, you can't have healthy fruit if the youth pastor is going home and they're getting shit from their wife or, you know, their husband about how, how that the church is really the mistress in their relationship. Like that's not creating health in the ministry. You're not going to get healthy fruit from that dynamic. So senior leadership, it's easy to say, oh, let's just separate them. Or, you know, the, you know, my high school kid doesn't like being with junior hires. Yeah, that's true. But it's not just as simple as, well, I guess we'll just split them. Like, it, it's not like that. It, there's so many things to look at. And I'm, I'm really zeroing in on the health side. Once you start looking at the budget side and some of the other pieces, um, you know, how do we do camps? Do we do camps differently now? Do we do events differently now? Yeah. Um, there's just so many other things. Are, is, the, is senior leadership going to back us up when we say, hey, we need to double our volunteer team? And they say, oh, no, just work with the volunteers you got. And it's like, wait, what, what are you talking? Are you crazy? Have you been yeah. drinking? Like, that's insane. But yeah. that tends to be the difficulty of what a lot of youth pastors are dealing with when they it kind of start uncovering and, and digging through this question. Yeah, that's great. So I think a lot of people have combined groups. Um, so let's talk about uh, how do we meet the needs or help meet the needs of those junior hires, um, even when we have a combined group, right? Because I, like I yeah. said, I think most people that are watching, listening, uh, have combined groups. So how do they have specific junior high um, uh, meet those needs even in the midst of a combined group, suggestions there. Yeah, so, so this, this to me is such an easy question that 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 a lot of people just don't want to put the time into, because it 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 takes intentionality, it takes time, it takes planning. Let me give you the the easiest example. Okay, are you married? Yep. Are you married? Oh yeah. Uh, have you ever done dinner with your wife and her, maybe her parents or maybe another fan, like other family or something like you, people that, you know, you, you and your wife and, and other people are there at this dinner. Yeah. Okay. I do this stuff all the time. And when I go out to dinner, you know, I'm holding my wife's hand. I'm putting my, my hand on her leg. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a romantic guy. Okay. <laughs> the, the, I'm giving her a different type of attention than I give everyone else in the room. Now, when it comes to junior high ministry, it's the exact same thing. We need to know how to give junior high ministry a different type of attention than what we're giving the entire room. If what we give the entire room is the exact same product, everyone's going to hate it. Because either we're going to be making it too adult, which I, still, I think junior high can be pulled up a little bit, but it's either going to be too adult for the junior hires because we're really trying to target high school, which really is a, a year or two above high school, or we're going to make it really for the junior hire and the high school students are going to look at you and be like, this is so cheesy. This is lame. So yeah. uh, how do you do both of you ever in the same room? Intentionally plan out the spaces that are made for junior high. Intentionally plan out the things that you do that are for, maybe you're, you end in worship and you dismiss the junior hires early because they're not going to just do the last worship song. They're going to actually go do like something experiential. Like they're going to, they just learned about breaking strongholds and they're going to go out there and with bricks and a hammer, they're going to smash it while the high school students are doing the last worship song. Now that's, 
That's an idea off the top of my head. That's not even the best idea. Maybe during the, the planning phase, you decide that you're going to bring the junior hires in 15 minutes early to let the high schoolers still kind of hang out and mingle a little coffee shop area deal. Bring the junior hires in, in 15 minutes early to do all the high energy, crazy, insane games. And then everything started. You, the junior hires, they're kind of led into the pre-show. And you know, this is all the language, right? Hey, junior high, you're, you guys are going to be part of the pre-show. High school, you, you, you guys are invited. You guys are going to stay out by the coffee shop area and hang out. Junior hires are thinking, oh, my God, like I'm, this is going to be awesome. Like We're going to yeah. do awesome stuff. Yeah. Like, it's just for us. And the high schoolers are thinking, thank, thank God they're out of here so I can like <laughs> match the girl. Thank goodness. Thank you. for. It. And then we get in the room. Then we do a couple of the things that we're all going to do together. You know, then we teach. And, but, and then we figure out, like, you know, do, do we separate for teaching? Some people do that. They bring everyone together for the, hey, how's it going? Let's play a big group game. All right, let's worship. All right, we're going to teaching. Junior high, head out that door. You know, a good friend of mine, um, they did that exact thing at their church. I don't know if they still do that but they bring everyone together and do the fun stuff. They do worship and then they split them off. I actually think they split them off for worship too. And they did worship separately. Mm -hmm. So you can still get everyone together on the same night, do a couple of things together and then split in separate rooms. And if you don't have separate rooms, then I know this is, it's difficult. You, this is the work of, of being intentional, figuring stuff out. Yeah. And maybe you lopside um, doing uh, uh, everyone together and then students go out of the room to do groups around the church and then come back in for worship. Like it, again, it takes intentionality to figure out exactly what it looks like for you, but there is a way to do it. It's just not saying, all right, well, we're going to give everyone the exact same product and I hope they like it and let's just hope for the best. That's never yeah. going to work. Yeah. So you, you, you hit on it a little bit, but what about for those guys that are teaching uh, to the whole group um, you know, and they're preaching to the whole group, right? Are, are you suggesting, um, you know, a lot of, there's that big debate. Do I kind of preach in the middle there? Kind of like that freshman age. Do I kind of teach down a little bit? Do I teach up and hope that the junior hires yeah. follow and stay? What, what? If, if you, if you have everyone in the room, my target would be sophomore. Um, the, that's who I would speak to because it's going to pull all the junior hires up. Yeah. The juniors and seniors is kind of pulling them down a little bit. And it's meeting the freshman, sophomore, kind of exactly right where they're at. But the, because there's no perfect answer for that. If you speak way too high up here, all the junior hires are going to look around. They're, they're genuinely going to say, I have no idea what they talked about tonight. Yep. And if you speak too low down here, then all of the high school students are going to be looking at you like, this is cheesy. I feel like I'm back in kids' church. So right in that sophomore age range, which the thing I love about Orange is they produce a lot of really good stuff. Um, and so is Sticky Faith and Fuller Youth Institute to really get in the mind of that age group. So you can really get uniquely in the mind of a sophomore, not just what a, what they say they need, but that what psychologists would agree to. Like, hey, at this life stage of the sophomore life stage, these are the things that really connect with them. And then you cater your talks a little bit toward that direction. Now, here's the thing. That is not easy. It takes time. It takes intentionality. Um, it, it, it takes planning. It's not thrown together. And if you're good with that, then you can have a, a su successful path forward. But it, it's not just throwing it together last minute or grabbing some curriculum and just kind of going up there and winging it. Um, that'll never work. People will leave disappointed and then they will not come back. Yeah. I mean, it sounds to me like both are a lot of work, right? To separate is a lot of work to have two nights, two different groups, whatever. But even 
uh, staking together needs to be a lot of work too. And I think that that's something- well, I think you're hitting on something obvious, which is ministry is a lot of work. Mm. D- doing ministry well will always be a lot of work. Doing crappy ministry, it is so easy to do crappy ministry. I know a lot of people who do it. So it's really easy. And if it, doing really good ministry was that easy, then everybody, everybody's ministries would be growing. Everybody would be retaining staff long-term. Everybody would have a culture where their parents just love, where years later, parents are still like, oh my God, I just, I'm so bought in. I love it. Uh, when parents become your key evangelists, and recruiters of other families to come check out your church, that's when you know you have something going really well. Um, Yes, that's hard work. Not everybody wants to do that level of work. That's why youth pastor turnover is still what it is in this country. Um, and And that completely sucks, by the way. But yeah, ministry is hard work, regardless of how you structure it. Yeah. All right. So junior hires, what are some of the key elements that youth pastors should be thinking about um, these are some of the key elements that we need to include, be focusing in on, especially right now, as you know, we're still in the middle of all this COVID stuff and people are reinventing youth ministry, reinventing a lot of the yeah. stuff we're doing. So what are some of those key elements that say, man, if we really want to hit junior high ministry, these are some of the core elements that we really need to be focusing in on and asking questions around. Well, you know, here's the thing. I, I it's the word fun. I'm going to use the, fu- the word fun as, a, as a, an acrostic, okay? And this is what I'm going to say. Um, fun is for F, um, united, um, and next. Okay, these are the words I'm going to, I'm going to cue in on. Junior high ministry, the fun is the universal language of junior high students. It was when Kurt wrote the first Controlled Chaos book. It was when I started Controlled Chaos podcast. Fun is still the universal language of junior high. Marco talks about anyone who spent time in junior high knows and, and also has been around, you know, more of the country or more of the world knows that it doesn't matter where you are. If you're with junior hires and you throw a ball in the middle of the field, kids kind of know what to do. Fun is a universal language. Yep. So if you're doing boring stuff, then just find something else to do for a career because that's not what junior high students want or need fun is the universal language of junior high ministry. If you're not having fun, if you're not creating fun experience, fun environments, fun moments for them, you're wasting your time and you're wasting their time. And actually you're probably doing um, more harm than good because during those pivotal years where they're, it's, they're starting to decide core things that they believe. If you don't know this, um, go watch the movie Inside Out. It's probably the best junior high ministry psychological movie that's ever been made. Um, these are made with experts that, that helped um, uh, bring visual um, and narrative to the, the young adolescent mind. And they are going through the, this, this, this change where they're figuring out th- what they believe and how they react to stuff and their personality in new ways. And if you teach them at a young age that church is boring, then they will carry that with them um, for many, many years. And, and maybe they can shake it, but the, the statistic I think still is 70% of people that come to faith in Jesus do so during the middle school to early high school years. So that's number one, fun, united. Yeah. You, you need to create a ministry that they feel like they're not an add-on to the ministry. You know, they're going through this very awkward time, right? Kids ministry made sense, right? That made sense. I was in kids ministry and, you know, I, I had to get a, a bathroom pass 
and I couldn't go anywhere without my parents. Now, as we get into junior high, especially in a lot, a, a lot of demographic areas, um, there are more freedom to hop on your bike and go somewhere. There's more freedom to do more sleepovers. There's more freedom to do all-nighters. Your first sleepaway camp tends to happen during the junior high years. Um, the first, uh, your first big moments of your life in general happen during the first junior high years. The first time you're rejected from a sports team, the first time you get your heart broken. A lot of those things happen. The first big crush, like serious crush happens during the junior high years. So may, helping them feel united to the ministry. It's not just junior high ministry, the silo. It's junior high ministry, a part of the church. Um, mm. If you get them serving in other areas of the church, if you get them connected with um, you know, the high school staff and high school students coming in regularly, telling them, you're awesome, I, I think you're great, you're hilarious, like those words of affirmation, that helps them feel united to the body of the church. You get um, uh, older people in the church not yelling at them for running too fast, but instead encouraging them for being there. That helps them feel united to the whole body of the church. So being united is so key. And then next, it doesn't pandemic or not, you should always have the next step for your students kind of figured out. Like, where am I trying to take them spiritually? Um, you know, I know where they're going developmentally. How am I going to leverage that for my, the spiritual goals, the, the church goals, the family ministry goals that we have? Like, what's the next thing? It, a, a very poor junior high ministry will be stuck in one mode for too long, um, and they'll suffer for it. You know, an example, the social media is a great example of this. A lot of churches held out on social media for too long, and they were just completely surpassed by a, a, a generation grade of kids who this was part of their normal life. And there are churches like, oh, that's too in the world, man. I want to be in the world, not of the world. And it's like, okay, well, you're not relevant then. So mm. kids will absolutely check you off the list and they'll, they will move on. So if you're not tuned into not just what is next in your spiritual goals, but how to leverage what's happening in culture um, and and create that as an impact into what's next in, in their life in the church, um, that is vital. The ministries that don't have plans, chances are will fail 90% of the time. The, the, and it, not having a plan is failure, by the way. Um, it's not, you don't get points for not planning, so there was nothing to fail at, so you still get points. No, not having a plan is failure because success is, and we know what success is, right? Making disciples of all nations, being baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're able to be, you know, leaders on their campus, that they're bringing their friends to know who Jesus is. They're making their faith their own, not their parents' faith, but their faith. All these things youth pastors know and executive staff know, but th that comes at a price, and the price is the cost of planning and not just saying, oh, it'll, it'll work itself out, or man, we're, such, we're in such a good rhythm right now. Well, yeah. A good rhythm right now becomes the stagnant staleness of tomorrow. So being in a rhythm, that's my first red flag. Don't be in a rhythm, be in a routine, mm. and a routine of, of shaping culture, innovation, thinking about what's next, that should be your routine. Constantly assessing, constantly getting feedback. If you're in a rhythm that just keeps on going, going forever, soon that will become stale. 
a routine is what tells us, okay, I'm going to do the, I'm going to get assessment. I'm going to ask for feedback. I'm going to, I'm going to send out a survey. I'm going to, I'm going to watch what's happening in culture. Okay, I'm going to get with my volunteer team, my student leadership team. I'm going to have real discussions. I'm going to ask tough questions. I'm going to listen to their feedback. I'm going to make um, strategic changes based on that feedback. That's a routine. Don't be in a rhythm, be in a routine to figure out what's next. That's great. That's great. All right, I want to want to switch switch gears here a little bit. So on episode one twenty two of the Controlled Chaos podcast, um, you have a great title, and I want to unpack it a little bit. So I want to read it. It says, "No, it's not okay to call your student a racist." All right. So this is the backstory. Here is um, there was a post on a, uh, a youth pastor uh, group that uh, you know basically said, you know, hey, you know the student was saying some things, is it okay for me to say this? And you just simply responded with, no, it's not okay to call your student a racist. And I saw that post, I saw your response, and uh, I, I, you know, sat on it for a little bit, and then I saw your episode. So I'd love for you to unpack a little bit of that and tell us just a little bit, you know, in the episode, you unpack um, some of your thoughts of how to kind of navigate this season. So I'd love for you just to kind of share some of your thoughts there. Yeah, you know, it's it's really it's really simple. I, I I thought that was a pretty pretty regularly accepted response, and I was shocked to see so many people had very different opinions. On, well, did did what they say was what they said? Was it actually racist? Because if it was, then maybe you should say something. Or were there other people around? Or like there were all these qualifiers. And, and here's the thing: it's never okay to call your student a racist. They could say the most racist thing ever. It's not okay to give them a label that they haven't taken for themselves. It's not okay to reaffirm an unhealthy label. It's not okay to just turn in your pastor card and become the political police. It's not okay for you to trade in the platform of teacher and leader to be social justice advocate warrior guy or girl. It's just not okay. You know, students don't just say stuff like it. They haven't determined every idea and everything that they believe yet. Students are repeating things they've heard at home. They're repeating things they've heard just on the news or whatever, you know, Instagram they follow. They're repeating stuff that they think is okay to say, or they're making a joke that they think is funny. And by the way, Kids make jokes that are off color all the time. So do I. So they're not uh, doing these things maliciously. So for us in our in our hypersensitive wokeness as pastors, which is by the way not our job, to determine that oh you you are this and I need to condemn you. Doesn't matter who's there. Doesn't matter the impact it's going to leave on you. Doesn't matter your relationship with Jesus and where it's at or how you view the church. None of those things matter. What matters is that I, uh, there's an injustice and I need to put everything else aside to just target that injustice. And by targeting that injustice, I'm really targeting you because you as a young person cannot see the difference between you being attacked um, as a person and you being reprimanded or um, given the chance to, to think through and assess your own ideas and how'd you come to those ideas and why do you feel that way? And, and let's have a conversation about it. 
and not just throw a label on a kid. I, I think it's so funny how we will be so quick to give the, the, the Bible lesson about labels and, and, you know, we do the name tag thing and then we pull our name tag off and let's go to camp and put our name tag on, on something. And, and, you know, that's not who you are, but then we're so quick to just throw a label on someone if, if it's culturally, you know, appropriate or woke to do that. It makes me want to throw up. I think it's totally gross. And, uh, and we had a whole episode talking about it. Yeah, I think it's great to, to, to really realize that part of it is, especially junior hires are going to say things and they aren't, they're not even aware, like you said, they're just repeating what they've heard. And for us to come alongside them and say, hey, uh, just so you know, that comment could be perceived this way, as opposed to saying, well, you've thought through this, you know what you're saying, you, you, you're premeditated, all this kind of stuff. And now, it, but to say, hey, Let's talk about I'm, I'm, that uh, there's been many times where, uh, you know, when I was in junior high, my parents had to walk me through those moments of saying, hey, here's, you know, outside of the, what's being said on the campus, here's what, how it's translated in the world and walking me through those. And so as youth pastors, that's part of our job is to walk people through those moments. You know, I know students who are, who not know personally, but I know of cultures where students are legitimately racist. See, I read this news article um, someone sent me about these two girls in the white Aryan movement. This is totally nuts, by the way, um, that they are, you know, total white power crazy people. They're both um, teenage girls. They've been doing this for a while now. They started when they were in junior high, actually, and they write and perform songs about white power and purifying the race all things that is gross, I completely disagree with. I find it reprehensible, disgusting. Um, I wouldn't advocate for it. I actually would speak out against it publicly. Like, I think it's reprehensible. But I also think that junior high kids are not waking up saying, you know what I want to do today? I want, I want to start writing songs about, about racism and, and, and how white people are better than everyone else. That's what I want to do. No kid is saying that. It's parents who are, who are uh, inserting those ideas, inserting those thoughts. Now, here's the thing. I'll go down on those parents and give them a hard time anytime because I think what we expose our kids to is vital. It, that, that determines how they're going to grow up. You know, Deuteronomy 6 talks about the responsibility of parents, that it's their responsibility to teach them to follow the Lord, right? That as they you know, lay down and as they wake up and as they walk along the road and go to bed and yada, 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 they're raising their kids up in the ways of the Lord. And so people obviously do the opposite of that. They raise their kids up in the absolute worst ways, but it's, it's a big sign that we as Christians should pay attention to, that how we raise our kids actually really does matter. The things we mm -hmm. say around our kids, the way we talk, Talk to our kids. Um, they hear us, they listen to us, and they want to imitate. You know, I, I just started working out recently, like working out, like, I did, like yeah, I'm like a weekend, less than a weekend, but I've decided I'm going to run a mile every day. I'm going to do some, some weight stuff, and I'm just going to do some healthy stuff. And do you know my three-year-old kid, every day he wants to do, he wants to work out with dad. He doesn't know anything about working out. He doesn't know how to work out. He has no, all he knows is that dad says he's going to work out and he wants to put his shoes on and his shorts on and he wants to go work out with dad. He has no concept of what running a mile uphill is like. He has no concept of it. He just wants to copy what mom and dad are doing. It's the same thing. You may have a kid who by all accounts legitimately has racist ideas and, and has racist comments to make and would say, yeah, I'm totally a racist. I think white people are better than, than every other race and we should eliminate. That is disgusting. 
and that is racism, by the way, 100%, that kid did not come up with those ideas themselves. It, to, to label them, to trade in your card of influence for the cheap win of letting them know that they are what they already believe they are and want to be based on what they've heard mom or dad or uncle or whoever talk about is a huge mistake. Mm. It'll have bigger consequences that I think we're willing to pay tribute to. And whenever there's like the woke culture moment is usually the worst time to change our philosophy or strategy on how we pastor and lead students. You know, if, if a kid did something, you know, you know, egregious at church, we've all learned this. At least we should have learned this at Bible college at some point when we're talking about youth dynamics and group dynamics that you say, Hey, I, I want to talk to you after afterwards. You don't do it in front of people. Hey, I want to talk to you afterwards. Hey, can we talk about what happened? Listen, I'm so happy you're here. I love having you here. You start off with an affirmation. But you know, when I saw you do this thing, you know, this is this is the impact that I had on the room. This is how I perceived it. You know, this is how I think others perceived it. What do you think about that? Tell them what the problem is, clearly stated, get their feedback. They respond, blah, 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 blah. Well, hey, next time I'd love to try and do this. And, and if you if you don't, like we'll have to figure out what's next after this. So make it clear there's consequences. And then, but I love having you here. Keep being here. Let's go have some fun together. You end with affirmation. It's super simple. <laughs> Nowhere in there do we call a student a racist. It's totally insane, but yet insane things tend to be everywhere right now. So I'm not completely shocked by it. Yeah, yeah, so good, so helpful. Thank you, you know, just for sharing such good insight. And again, go to episode 122, or uh, they dive in even a little bit more into that. So recently, you mentioned at the top of, of the, the interview here is that you have transitioned into a new role. Uh, and so you've been really public and open and, and um, transparent about your transition from sandals and uh, kind of what you've learned from there. And so I know that in this season, there's a lot of people that are transitioning. Um, and so what were some of those things that you learned from that time? How did you kind of walk through? I think you said it was a, what, about 16 months. Um, and yeah. so walk us through some of that journey. Well, the, I mean, I've, there's a lot of, I've talked about this a bunch on my podcast, other podcasts. So the, the, this is, and with every month that goes by, it's like a different layer gets pulled away. I, I it exposes a little more. I get to see a little more, you know, time, you know, people say time heals things. Time actually doesn't heal things. Time gives you the, the opportunity to really dissect and pull out the infection every little bit, every little ounce of it, so that none of that disease area exists anymore. Um, that's what time gives you. So I've, yeah, just started a job with a new, with a nonprofit, super excited about it. And, um, you know, and I wasn't sure if I was ready to get back into ministry yet. You know, the, you know, Sandals was, you know, a big debacle, blew up my face in a big way. And there's a lot of different things that I'd point to, a lot of the, all those things I would take ownership of. You know, one of the big things I'd say that over the last couple months I've really, you know, put time exposing into um, is the idea of ego. You know, the, uh, there's a guy named Jocko, I read his book, Extreme Ownership, a really, really smart guy, a former Navy SEAL, really great dude. Um, he wrote a new book called uh, Leadership Strategies and Tactics. I had the opportunity to have him on my podcast to talk about that, which was, which was absolutely awesome. And through that, you know, because he's in San Diego and I'm in, in, uh, up in a little, in Orange County, Riverside area, um, I got the opportunity to go down there and spend a half day with him. And we, we had lunch. 
We did some jujitsu. He totally kicked my ass. It was great. The, he could have gone a lot harder, but he didn't because I was kind of, I'm kind of a, I was butterball at the time. And, but we had, and the whole conversation was about ego because at its core, I went to Sandals feeling like, you know, I was the guy at Mariners. Like I knew stuff. Like the, the, it was, it was a big deal that I was coming here. Right. Like they were, you know, the interview process was pretty fast. They were really excited to have me, but that ego that I had a feeling like I kind of knew. And so when people would give me criticism or negative feedback, I'd kind of view it as a, yeah, that, that's great. But you know, I, I'm not here for no reason. I kind of know what I'm talking about. Mm. And that ego wouldn't allow me to hear critical things. It wouldn't allow me to self-assess um, that ego um, and which is different than pride. <clears throat> I think ego comes before pride. Pride is the action of behavior. Ego is the way we view ourselves. We have a deep ego about us. <clears throat> you know, we, we have pride in our actions and people can see that. People can't see ego. You can have a, a strong ego um, and still live in a very healthy way. I had a very strong ego and lived in a very unhealthy way. And so I think as, over the last few months of really understanding how to put ego aside and speak honestly and speak with humility and know you're not going to have every answer and stop trying to please everybody with every one of your answers and be okay with failure. Um, and, you know, it, it just, it changed me. It changed the way I viewed myself as a leader. Um, and I think it really got me ready to step back into ministry, which I have now. And, I, and I'm really happy with, you know, with this nonprofit I'm in. But, you know, the, already I had, I had one big blunder. You know, I had a, you know, it's different. You, you report to a board. It's different than having, you know, a, one boss. Like I have a board of people that I report to. And we were doing a, um, a grant proposal to our biggest donor. They give us hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I filled it all out. And I fill it out, like I usually fill out things like that. You know, you're not just filling out for the here and now, you're kind of talking about what your plan is for the future. Little did I know that in the, it's not just a matter of me as the executive director saying, hey, this is the vision for the future. It's actually something that you have to go back to the board and kind of share with them and get their, you know, their, you know, they literally vote on, and like it's very Robert rules of order. You kind of share like, these are the things I'm planning on doing. And they vote on like, all right, this is the direction we're going to, we're, we're saying yes to. I missed all that. So it actually became a big, a big issue. And the, the old part of me would have said, well, you know what, I'm, I'm a seasoned leader and this, this is a mistake, but you guys probably should have told me this. How do you expect me to know? But the truth is that it was my screw up and that's okay that I blew it and I'm going to own it. And I'll be honest about it. And I'm new to the nonprofit space. I have no idea. And so there is no ego. You know, the, that one piece has changed my entire perspective, how I lead myself and lead other people. And, uh, and if it wasn't for sandals being the way that it is, um, I never would have had the opportunity to learn that. That's great. Yeah. Real quick, a couple tips for those that are in a season of transition. What would you suggest that they do during this time? Um, some helpful things that you learned through your process. Yeah. Regardless of how it went, you, you have to take ownership of your part in it. Okay. It doesn't matter what the transition was. It doesn't matter why you transition. It doesn't matter how you transition. Doesn't doesn't matter all the, the elders and this and that and everyone's opinions and their feet. None of that. Just put all that, that stuff and put it over here in the crap box. And we're gonna put it over there on the side because no one cares about what's in that box. 
you got to take ownership of whatever that thing was, however the, the whole, how, however the whole transition went down, you have a big part to play in it. And, and I know that it's easy for you to make excuses. It was easy for me to make excuses. Just don't. Just own it. Because once you own it, you can start moving on from it. I would probably say number two, take time for yourself. You know, figure out what that is. I know not everyone has the time. You know, I got a severance package and I was, I, I was generously able to hop into a new job. I did sales for a while, which I really enjoyed. But sometimes getting back into ministry doesn't mean getting right back into ministry. Yeah, I knew I would always get back into ministry. Like I kind of knew that. But it didn't mean I was getting right back into ministry. It was my wife who said, hey, we should take some time off. And you know, mm -hmm. I got the sales job and it, was, it ended up being great the it, taking time off means maybe you're going to do something completely different from ministry for a while. Maybe it means you're going to do something completely outside the vocation so that you can take time just kind of getting healthy and repairing yourself. I think we, we always forget to do self care because we screw that first step up because if the transition, whatever it was, is everyone else's problem then there is nothing for us to do self-care on other than licking our wounds for how bad they hurt us. And then it's easy for us to jump right back into a job. But the truth is, it isn't all them. It's a lot of it's us. We do need to do self-care, not just for the wounds of what happened, but for why it happened. What part of me allowed that to happen? Put time into fixing that. So when you go into the next place, you're not bringing in all that baggage with you. I'll give you a quick example. You know, the, I was in a relationship once. I'm not going to go into great detail with it, but it was, it was a romantic relationship. And the person had just ended a very serious relationship with their, their former person. And I could see that they haven't worked through a lot of the stuff from that. And I told them, listen, if we're going to keep going, you need to get into counseling to work a lot of that stuff out because you haven't worked it out. And I'm the one paying the price for it. You'll bring all that baggage with you into the next place, and they're going to look at you and be like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa. we don't want to deal with this stuff from the, the last place." We thought, well, hopefully, you've worked through that. If you haven't, you're never going to be able to truly launch into something new if you're still being dragged down by the baggage of something old. And I'd probably say the last thing is, there is a tomorrow. But with everything, I, I love the, the, how God created things. There's a beginning. There's a middle and there's an end. This is very simple stuff. Okay? We're born, we live a whole life, and we die. And hopefully, we're, you know, we have hope for heaven. Um, you know, we have you know faith. You know, for what's next. Um, for a lot of people, they don't. That's a tough deal for them. It's not for us. We're Christians. We have Jesus. But in situations like this, yeah, you got fired or got let whatever the situation got let go, transition, downsize, whatever. Okay, there's a beginning to that. There's a middle to this whole thing. There's going to be an end to that season. I don't know when it's going to be. It might be a year from now. It might be six months from now. It might be 18 months from now in my case, but there will be an end to it. If you've done nothing to prepare yourself, when you get to the end, you're going to realize that you're actually really right back at the beginning and you're going to regret it. You know, the, the work of self-work is really hard work. You know, six months from now, and this is something you need to self-assess. You just need to look in the mirror and say to yourself, in six months from now, do I want to celebrate the accomplishments that I've created or do I want to look back and wish I would have done something? So look in the mirror and say, okay, mirror, my, me, in six months from now, do I want to celebrate the accomplishments of the growth that I've made or in six months from now, do I want to regret wishing I would have done something six months ago? And every single one of us would say, we want to be the first person. We want to be the person to celebrate and be happy with the accomplishments that we've made over the investment of time. That doesn't come easy. There's hard work involved, but you can do it. I've done it. I know others who've done it. And I know others who haven't. 
I know others who've been out of ministry five you know, years, you know, some more, because they cannot deal. They just can't deal with it. They can't take ownership of the, their, their faults. They can't see, they, they bounce around church to church to church through the journeyman of churches because they can't look in the mirror and say, you know what, there's something wrong in me and how I lead people, how I treat people, um, you know, how I act. Um, you know, that's, that, that's no bueno. That's not going to work. Um, yeah. Those who. Yeah. Okay. So uh, we were talking before we, we started the, the interview here about your time with Jocko. So I want to end with this question. Um, sure. Talk a little bit about how that time with Jocko helped you and what are some of the things that you're doing to stay renewed and refreshed in your journey? Yeah. So here's the thing about Jocko. He doesn't speak the language of horseshit that we speak in the church often. Um, there's no one who's better at the horseshit talk than the church. We're willing to make every excuse for ourselves and everyone else when the reality is we don't need excuses. We need accountability. We need someone to kick us in, in the ass and say, hey, listen, um, you're actually to blame for this. This is actually on you and you need to take ownership of it. You need to live in that fact um, and you need to, and we're willing to help you figure out how to move forward in this. The church is notoriously terrible at it. The military is not terrible at it. And everything that Jocko has been doing, I mean, he, he is teaching people how to do that in organizations, he works with churches and nonprofits and, and whatnot. But the thing about Jocko is that he did not um, give me an inch to make an excuse. And he wrote, wrote the book on extreme ownership. So he was able to just tell me the hard truth to my face. He didn't care about if I liked him or not afterwards. He didn't care about my feelings. He cared about me asking the question and him giving me a truthful answer. And that's exactly what he did. It was great. I'd probably say that the thing that's helped me pass that conversation is things even just like this, talking about it. You know, I'm not ashamed of having problems that I needed help fixing. I'm not bothered by the fact I couldn't do it myself. I'm not embarrassed that I needed to go to others in order to get their feedback, their support, their help. Um, and I, and after the whole thing, now that I'm able to look with a certain level of perspective, as I have conversations, even just like this, or I was having lunch with, you know, my buddy Doug Fields, you know, two weeks ago. And I told him, I told him all about this. And, and it's not a thing to be ashamed of saying, yeah, I really let my ego get the best of me. And I'm kind of, you know, embarrassed of that. It's not it. I had an ego problem. My ego problem led to my failure. And now I finally been able to expose that as a truth. And now I'm going to do something different about it. And Hey, listen, because you're a trusted friend, if you ever see that in me, I want you to call out on me immediately. Don't worry about my feelings being hurt. Care about me and who I'm becoming more than you care about yourself and your own feelings and your own security um, yeah. being, uh, you know, being you know, brutalized by maybe I'm not going to like you after this. Now, Fields, that's not him. He doesn't care about that. But most people, you really have to give them permission to tell you the hard truth because they are not going to want to because chances are they don't want to hear the hard truth. And I think for me, walking away from that convo with Jocko, which again was one of 10 discussions that, you know, really intentional discussions I had with people through that journey of, of health. Um, that was the last one I needed. Um, and it, it really, it, it really was the, it really was the big one. It was the important one to hide them all together. I love it. Well, hey, Justin, thank you so much for your time. It's been really helpful to hear about uh, junior high ministry, you know, transitioning 
and uh, you know, making sure you have those hard conversations to drill down deep into your life. So I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for being here. It was great being here, man. I love what you're doing. Keep it up.